Last Wednesday, we entered the season of Lent. We entered the season of Lent, which is this 40-day period modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, fasting. During this time, we are invited to follow Jesus into the wilderness so that we can learn from him, look to him, and become like him. That's what the season of Lent is all about, following Jesus into the wilderness. And so for, for the past several weeks, we have been reflecting on how, as followers of Jesus, we're meant to be a table in the wilderness. Uh, that's kind of the, the image that we've been reflecting on and exploring together. We've been dwelling in Matthew chapter 3, looking at the ministry of John the Baptist, who shows us this different way of being, this whole different way of being, not looking to numbers and crowds, but embracing obscurity in the wilderness as he faithfully declares the kingdom of God and points to the one who was to come after him. And at the end of Matthew 3, that one who is to come arrives, right? Jesus comes to John and is baptized by him. And when he comes up out of the water, it says that the heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. And this voice spoke saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In this baptism moment, we see the beloved, abundant table of God in the wilderness, the fundamental place from which Jesus and all of us began, this place of being deeply loved by God. That's where we begin. But then a puzzling thing happens. As we turn to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus does not leave the wilderness. He actually goes deeper into it. And he goes deeper into the wilderness. So we're called to follow him there. And that's what this season of Lent is all about. So though we're still considering what it looks like to be a table in the wilderness, during this season, over the next several weeks, I want to look more closely at Jesus in the wilderness. So look at, at, at what Jesus encountered there as he entered that wilderness place. As we follow him there, what can we learn from him? Can we look to him and can we become like him? These are the things that are before us during this season. And so let's begin by reading this wilderness encounter that Jesus has in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, 
It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word that we might live by every word that comes from your mouth. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today I want to consider the the big picture of Jesus' time in the wilderness, as well as the first specific temptation that he encounters there and how he responds. I've managed to pull all of this together into three points that all begin with the same letter, right? That's when you know you're, you're in the sweet spot. Uh, so today, I want to talk about testing, temptation, and trust. Testing, temptation, and trust. That's where we're headed. So let's begin with testing. Depending on the Bible translation that you read, uh, if you look closely at verse 1, you might see a footnote next to the word tempted, indicating that it can also be translated tested. Tested. Right? The Greek word used here describes both, uh, carries both of these connotations, and I think it's important to start with testing. Because testing is broader than temptation. Right? Temptation might be a kind of testing, but testing is really the point. Testing is that bigger picture. You see, testing is the thing that goes between preparation and action. Testing is what comes between preparing and, and, and actually acting and, and doing the thing. Uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, we test airplanes to find out if they're safe for passengers. We test fishing lines to see if they will hold big fish. We test medicines to know whether they will heal or harm. When something important is at stake, we like to have testing beforehand. After something is prepared, it gets tested before it goes public, right? That's how this works, and this is what happens with Jesus in the wilderness. He has been fully prepared by the Father's love at his baptism, but before he goes public, he is tested in the wilderness. He's tested in the wilderness. And in this testing, we are able to see how true the preparation really was. Because if Jesus had gone straight into to public, straight into to ministry, the love of the Father could have very easily been diluted by that pull of popularity, Right? Uh, we, we wouldn't know, as we were reading his story, if he was teaching the crowds and calling disciples to build the kingdom or simply to build his own platform, as so many people do today. So the question is, will Jesus live from the Father's love 
Or will he be seduced by all kinds of other things that call for attention? But the wilderness testing strips away all of those other things. The wilderness testing strips away those other motives, those other distractions, and it shows us, it proves Jesus' heart. And that's really what testing is, is all about. Testing is about getting to the heart of things. As, as Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, he's not only being tested for his own life uh, and, and ministry, but he's also reenacting another time of testing. The 40 years of testing that Israel faced in the wilderness. Hear how that time is described in Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses addresses Israel toward the end of their wilderness wondering, saying, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, the reason for the testing is to know what's in the heart. What's in the heart. And we, too, are tested. We, too, are tested all the time. Right? And sometimes it is in the form of temptation. But testing can also happen much more broadly than that as well. Right? Testing comes with the temptation to steal. But testing also comes with the opportunity to give. Right? Every opportunity there is to give is a, is a test. Right? Where is our heart? Uh, testing comes with temptations to lust. But it also comes with opportunities to love. Testing comes with temptations to tell someone off because of what they've done. But testing also comes with opportunities to be gracious and merciful to one another. Every one of these moments, whether temptation or not, can be a test. It's not just temptations to sin that test us, but every opportunity to serve as well. Every moment of every day asks us this question, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? That's the essence of the testing. And sometimes we might be really surprised at what we find. Right? When testing comes, you might find a surprising abundance of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that can happen, right? Something disappointing happens, but inexplicably, there's a kind of joy that's down there that you weren't expecting. Right? Some tragedy might have arisen in life. Nevertheless, some kind of peace that passes understanding remains. Right? There are these moments where we surprisingly, in the testing, find that the Spirit is with us. 
The Spirit is, is filling our lives. Some of my most profound experiences with God have come in the midst of tragedy and pain. Because these were testing times where the Spirit had to become real for my life. Had to become real for me. I couldn't rely on myself or my circumstances, but, but I had to rely on the Spirit. Times of testing might just surprise us as we encounter the Spirit there. But testing also has a way of showing us the depths of our own brokenness as well, of exposing the, the roots of sin that are within our hearts. Sometimes temptation comes and we give right in. We just go, go right to it. Or maybe we don't give in, but we sure do think about what it would be like to give in. And in those moments, we begin to see what it is that is in our hearts. That's the testing. Whatever the testing reveals, the goal is not to, to gloat in how full of the Holy Spirit we might be or to sulk in how filled with sin we might be, but rather to constantly come back to the love of the Father, to constantly return to the love of the Father who fills us with his Spirit and forgives us of our sins. And so no matter what, our response should always be, thank you, right? Thank you for the strength of your Spirit or thank you for forgiving my sin. We come to God with thanks. This testing reveals what it is in our hearts. And in the wilderness, as we look to Jesus, we see his heart on full display. He is living from the place of love, having received the love of his Father. Jesus is seeking first the kingdom of God. This is the foundation from which he will move from his preparation through the testing and into the action of his ministry, built on that foundation of belovedness in his Father. We see his heart in this wilderness testing. And so that's the testing. Next, let's look at the temptation the temptation. That's the other meaning of the word that's used here in verse 1, and then used again down in verse 3, where it says that the tempter came to him. Right? This is the word temptation as well. Now, I already mentioned one parallel story of Israel's testing in the wilderness, but there's an even earlier parallel that we also see in this moment. This moment points all the way back to the very first time a tempter came to confront humanity. In Genesis 3, a tempter comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And there are a lot of similarities in what we see there and what we see here. 
There we see Adam and Eve living in perfect communion with God after creation, and the serpent comes in to disrupt that. Here, we see Jesus living in perfect communion with God after baptism, and the tempter comes to disrupt that. When the serpent speaks to Eve, he sows doubt by asking the question, did God really say you may not eat from these trees? Is that really what God said, right? He sows doubt to them. But when the tempter comes to Jesus, well, he, once again, seeks to sow doubt by saying, if you are the Son of God, right, are you really? He seeks to sow that doubt. Another parallel, the serpent entices Eve by saying, if you want to be like God, well, then eat from this tree, right? Have this fruit. If you want to be like God, do, do this. And in the same way, the tempter seeks to entice Jesus by saying, well, if you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread, right? If, if, if you are God, well, then do this. This really is what temptation is. This is the temptation. It's not so much about eating fruit or bread as it is about trusting God. It's ultimately about trusting God. The tempter's refrain from the garden to the wilderness on to us today is this. Doubt God and do it yourself. Doubt God and do it yourself. In the garden, his message was doubt God's abundant provision and eat this fruit, right? Doubt that you've already been made in his image. Instead, eat this fruit so you can be like him. Doubt God. Do it yourself. In the same way in the wilderness, he continues, doubt in God's abundant love. Doubt what he spoke over you in the waters of baptism and instead prove your identity by doing this. Doubt God. Do it yourself. That's what the tempter says. And so will Jesus doubt his identity as God's beloved son? Or will he trust that identity? that's already been spoken over him. Will Jesus work for his identity as God's beloved son? Or will he receive it? Do you remember, we said a couple weeks ago, there are these two fundamentally different ways of living. One of them is living in order to get love, and the other one is living because you are loved. And those are fundamentally different from one another. And this is at the core of this wilderness temptation. Will Jesus act in order to prove his identity, or will he rest in the reality of this identity? These are the two paths that are laid before him in the wilderness. One of them, it's been described as the way of commanding. 
And the other one is the way of listening. Will he command the stones to become bread? Or will he listen to the loving voice of his father, who's already spoken over him? You are my beloved son. These same paths are laid out before us every day. And it's so easy to choose the path of commanding, isn't it? Now, we don't have the power to command stones to become bread, but we try our hardest. We try our hardest to command all kinds of things to happen. We command things left and right, and this lulls us into at least the illusion that we might be in control. Because that's what we want. We want to be in control. We'd much rather be in control of our own lives than trust God, trust our Father. But listening, the way of listening is far different than the way of commanding. In listening, we submit to God instead of demanding our own way. In listening, we receive from God instead of working to prove ourselves. You see, Jesus chose the way of listening instead of the way of commanding. And so he, he responds in verse 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In fact, he's quoting the very next verse after the Deuteronomy passage we read a moment ago. Jesus knows he's being tested. So he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in this, he overcomes the tempter. Which is where the parallels that we've been reflecting on begin to depart. Right? And there are other differences as well. Right? Adam and Eve were overcome by the tempter, whereas Jesus overcame him. Some other differences. Adam and Eve are tempted where? In this abundant place of the garden with bellies full from all the other trees that they could have been eating from. But in their greed, they want more. Whereas Jesus is tempted in the sparse place of the wilderness with a belly that's empty from 40 days of fasting. And yet in his hunger, which verse 2 unnecessarily tells us, you know, emphasizes, right? He fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. Did you have to tell us that? We knew, right? But it, it underscores it nonetheless. In his hunger, he remained faithful. In his hunger, he remained faithful. And it is in this way that God uses weak things to shame the strong, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. God uses the weak things in the world to shame the strong. In the weakness of his hunger, he puts the strength of the tempter to shame. 
And this is a precursor to the cross, where through the weakness of death, he will ultimately overcome the enemy. Through weakness, he is strong. And so when Jesus is tempted to doubt God and do it himself, he chooses instead to trust God and live by God's word. And so this leads us to the third and final T of trust, which we've already been talking about. This is ultimately what Jesus points to when he quotes, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, my guess is is many of us who might have grown up in church, um, our main takeaway from this first temptation was a lesson about how important it is to know the Bible. Right? We want to be people who live by the word of God. So we need to know the Bible. Uh, and, And that's true, right? That's true. Be sure to do your memory verses uh, so that when the devil tempts you, you can shoot verses back at him just like Jesus did. This is a great strategy. It really is. Um, We were talking in class earlier. There's one of the Desert Fathers uh, put together this little manual for combating demons, uh, is is the way that he put it. And it's basically a, a list of sins with scriptures next to them for, hey, here are scriptures to to shoot back whenever you are tempted, Uh, right? It's very practical, very helpful. Um, And so, so yes, the word of God, scripture, the words of scripture is essential in our battle. It's essential. It's one of the reasons why our, our Lent book of daily readings that we have has a short passage of scripture to reflect on every day. Right? We need to be feasting on the words of God. We need to be coming to the words of Scripture, regularly returning to them. But, but here's the thing. The point of this story is not ultimately about knowing your Bible. It's about trusting your Father. That's why we read the Bible. It's not just about knowing the Bible, but trusting the Father. That's what we're called to. One of the descriptions that I came across of this first temptation was from Russell Moore, who who describes it this way. He says, this is the temptation to be fed instead of fathered. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, we live in one of the most uh, abundant, wealthy places, countries in the world. And yet, it is also one of the places where anxiety and depression abound the most. Because we are people who would rather be fed than fathered. We want our needs to be met, but we don't want to turn to our Father who meets them. And so our bellies might be full, but our hearts still ache because we desperately need our Father. 
Jesus doesn't say that man doesn't live on bread. We do need bread, but we don't live on bread alone. We need every word from the mouth of God. We need our Father to draw us near to him and to continue to speak those words, you are my beloved child. That's what we desperately need. So we're willing to be fathered and not just fed. That's the question that this brings us to. Are we going to doubt God and do it ourselves? Another way that I've heard this passage described, this temptation described, as, as Henry Nouwen describes it, is the temptation to relevance. To relevance, right? There's nothing more relevant than um, bread, especially when you're in the middle of the wilderness and you haven't eaten for 40 days. That's like the most relevant thing that you could come across is bread. Um, and again, it's not that we are meant to be irrelevant, but that we are always so tempted by whatever the latest headline is, by whatever the latest fad is. And this is true of the church, right? I mean, the church desperately wants to be relevant, right? And so we got to, you know, meet people's needs and, and have everything set and on and on. But just maybe we're not called to be relevant as much as we are called to be reliant on God. It's not that, that we need to ignore needs, but maybe the needs that we have actually need to be different. There's such a thing as artificial needs. That's how the economy grows. We come up with a product and we make a need for it so we can sell it, right? And that's just how it goes. And that's how things continue to be relevant. Put out a new phone every year. Put out a new model every year. So you can stay relevant. We're addicted to it. But instead of constantly being up on the latest thing, we're called instead to rely on our Father. There's a, a, a pastor at a church I was a part of for a while who, who used to say, you know, people always come and, and they ask questions about, you know, what kind of church this is, what, what we believe, and never, not once has anyone ever come and asked me a question about, you know, do you, do you believe the kingdom of God is coming? Like, they never ask that question. It's always something that's one of the latest hot-button issues, one of the latest topics that it's fun to talk about. No one ever asks, do you believe that Jesus is alive? Right? These are the things that matter. Like, these are the things that, that we're actually called to, but we're so addicted to relevance instead of relying on our Father in heaven. Are we willing to be fathered and not just fed? That's the question at the heart of this passage. And I think that's why Jesus gives us the prayer that he gave us to pray, which begins how? Our Father in heaven. It's to him that we go to ask for our daily bread. We go to him. 
our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. And in that same prayer, Jesus teaches us to to pray, lead us not into temptation, right? He knew what that was like. God, don't bring me to the testing place. But if we are led there, may we be delivered from evil. Deliver us, Lord, from evil. Right? Jesus prayed that prayer because he knew that prayer. Because he lived it first. In the wilderness, we see the heart of Jesus. And so, as we continue through the wilderness this Lent, may we keep learning from Jesus, looking to Jesus, and becoming like Jesus. Amen.